0: Welcome to another episode of the Sports Sentiment. I am your host, Nick Arias, and the month of October has finally arrived. One of the most wonderful times of the year because we got all four major sports in action. Major League Baseball postseason getting ready to get kick started. The National Football League has been up and running. NBA basketball preseason is underway and the regular season is less than two weeks away. And the National Hockey League countdown the puck drop is on less than a week away from the regular season in the NHL. So something for everybody, whether you're a baseball fan, basketball fan, football or hockey fan, you're going to be entertained. And the best part of it all, all four of those sports are going to be going on at the same time. And this is a very rare instance. And October is one of those months where we get all of that. But because we do have the Major League Baseball postseason starting this weekend, actually, the Wild Card weekend kicks off. By the time you guys are hearing this, it will probably be already going on. So let's talk about our expectations for the postseason. It's always entertaining. People say baseball is boring. This is the time of year you want to watch it. I can understand watching 162 games for one season. The season's too long, in my opinion. It's hard to stay consumed of watching baseball teams from April all the way to September. Luckily, I've been keeping track on all this. So if you haven't watched baseball all year, you come to the right place. So let's get this thing started. We got the Wild Card weekend. Baseball loves to change their rules and their formats to all this stuff. So instead of a one-game Wild Card, which they've been doing for past years, now we have a best of three during wildcard weekend. And then the winner of the wildcard series, moves on into a best-of-five series. And that's where both the one seed and the two seed of the National League and the American League are awaiting. So the one and two seeds from the NL and AL do have bye weeks. Or they're a, b- a first-round bye, rather, while on top of getting home field advantage at the same time. So let's quickly go across the wildcard weekend matchups. And I'm going to just quickly go by Say who I like, give my opinion, how I think the series is going to go. So let's get to it. Our first matchup, the Tampa Bay Rays at the Cleveland Guardians. The Guardians are the three seed. So the higher seeded team does get home field all three games. So the lower seeded team is on the road for the entirety of the series. So that's the plus of being the higher seeded team. Cleveland Guardians. This is a team that didn't have a lot of expectations coming into the year. Their team was very young. They got rid of Francisco Lindor. Jose Ramirez was kind of their household name. And it's just a bunch of young guys that are just trying to get developed. These guys come in and win the American League Central. Take everyone by surprise, including myself. You want to talk how young this team is? Their entire payroll is less than $40 million. That's insane. There's some starting pitchers, such as Max Scherzer for the New York Mets, that are getting his contract this year and what he's getting paid is more than the entire Cleveland Guardians roster, yet the Guardians are still doing work, still doing damage, win the division, and they're going up against a Tampa Bay Rays team led by Kevin Cash, who just have tons of talent. They've been here before. Randy Rosarino, the, the pitching is out of control with this team. They just got pitchers left, right, and center. They can mix and match, pick their matchup, who they like. They The Tampa Bay Rays are just one of these teams that have a crap ton of arms, but they do come in to the postseason very hurt. And that's why I do favor the Guardians in this three-game matchup, especially with them being at home. The Tampa Bay Rays, they're missing one of their power hitters in Brandon Loud, their best defensive player in Kevin Kiermaier, their center fielder. Mike Zanino, their catcher, who had a decent year. One of their better arms in Shane Baz, one of their starting pitchers. So, usually I would favor the Rays in this matchup just because of their experience, but I can't do it. This Cleveland Guardians team is just having one of those years where they're just taking everybody by surprise and I could see this Cleveland Guardians team not only winning and coming out of this wild card series but also doing some serious damage and making a deep If you got to watch one wild card series, I would probably make it this one. The Seattle Mariners haven't been in the playoffs in over 2 decades, 21 years to be exact. So this is a team that has the Seattle fans. Unfortunately, they're not gonna be able to see. They're not gonna have their home crowd. But this is a team that hasn't seen the playoffs in forever. Has one of the best young players in Julio Rodriguez. They got hitters all over the place, between Mitch Haniger and Suarez, and they're just really young. Their pitching is outstanding. Which, if you're in the postseason, you gotta have great pitching, starting pitching, and bullpen. More importantly. It's what wins and loses you games down the stretch in October. You have to have it. It's an absolute necessity at this time of year. But the Mariners, this team's got pitching all over the place. Their bullpen, their bullpen is what separates the Toronto Blue Jays in this series. However, I still favored the Blue Jays because it's at home Teoscar Hernandez. Not to mention they got Kevin Gosman, former Giant. Alec Manoa who's their one of their young starting pitchers who's the ace of this baseball team so if I had to pick who's gonna win the series I'd lean Toronto in three games but this is a series where I would not be surprised at all if the Seattle Mariners take it because there's just gonna be so much star power on both sides talent across all positions it's gonna be awesome to watch I hate how I hate that one of these teams are going to be eliminated because whoever wins this series has to face the Houston Astros and quite honestly one of these teams especially if you were the Blue Jays the Blue Jays could hang with the Astros not that I'm saying that they're gonna win but they could most definitely hang around with them switching gears to the National League we got the Philadelphia Phillies at the St. Louis Cardinals St. Louis Cardinals the three seed they will be hosting all three games. At Bush Stadium, and this is a Cardinal team that I think is a big time sleeper. Probably the biggest sleeper heading into October. They got the National League MVP in Paul Goldschmidt. They got Nolan Arenado, one of the third one of the best third basemen in baseball. And they just got a bunch of a bunch of dudes that can hit. A, just a bunch of young guys from top to bottom that can just simply hit. Just one through nine. They can kill you between Edmund and the nine hole. Albert Pujols, who's having, we all know about Albert Pujols and his outstanding career in terms of just hitting the baseball, not to mention what he's done off the field. Lars Newbar leading off, who I think is very underrated. So you get my point with the Cardinals. Any one of these guys that are in the lineup can hurt you, not to mention among others. However, these guys have been around long enough. They've seen October baseball and the St. Louis Cardinals, doesn't matter if they get in doesn't matter what team they roll out. They're just one of those teams that you can't overlook. And that's how it's always been. Even when the San Francisco Giants were playing October baseball, they had some feisty St. Louis Cardinal teams. And this is a bullpen for the Cardinals that can just throw absolute heat. Ryan Helsley, Jordan Hicks, Giovanni Gallegos, triple-digit velocity across the board, along with some nasty movement. So I think the Cardinals are... Heading into the postseason, pretty undervalued on the Philadelphia Phillies side. This is a very streaky team. If they don't get starting, if they don't get good starting pitching between Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, I could see this team imploding very quickly. Just because I do not have faith in their bullpen at all. But this is, like I said, this is a very streaky team because they got Kyle Schwarber, they got Reese Hoskins, the California Bay Area kid, and they got former MVP Bryce Harper. And he, he's coming off of a, a fractured thumb. And he hasn't really been the same. But this is a team that, like I said, is very streaky. And with these three-game series, game one, we can't... It's kind of obvious, but game one sets the tone of the series. Because if that row team comes in and wins game one, so these wild cards games, and I just can't wait for it, our final matchup, the San Diego Padres and the New York Mets. The New York Mets are just one of those teams that these guys are just professional choke artists, and these guys had a division lead. These guys were rolling April through September in terms of having a big-time division lead on the Atlanta Braves. They blow it during the last week of the season and absolutely fall apart, and I could see the implosion in the wild card weekend. I can just see them imploding in the wild card weekend because this is a very talented San Diego Padres team, a team that despite getting Juan Soto and Manny Machado in that top part of the lineup, is still very underrated. This is a team that is rolling into the postseason very quietly because of all the Fernando Tatis stuff and kind of being overshadowed by everybody else. But this is a team that I could very easily see going across the country in New York, in Citi Field, and beating the New York Mets quite handily between you Darvish and Blake Snell as your starters I think this is a team that could win in two games but this is another one of those series where it's an absolute coin flip and I could see it going either which way on the New York Mets side of course they got the starting pitching they got Max Scherzer they got Jacob deGrom which they don't which they don't even feel comfortable using Jacob deGrom in game 1 they want to save him for a game 3 and I think that could come back and bite Buck Showalter and his team in the back because all of a sudden, if Scherzer, for some weird reason, doesn't win game one and you got Chris Bassitt going in game two, all the pressure's on Jacob DeGrom. And if we, to anybody that's watched New York, New York Mets baseball this season, Jacob DeGrom, we all know he's injury prone, but when he does pitch in games, he will get you six to seven shutout innings, but he does not get any run support. So my big deal is, Who's going to have that big hit in all of these series, for that matter? This is in October. There's always that one guy on that extremely hot team that gets really hot and is the difference maker in a series. Look at in 2021, Eddie Rosario for the Atlanta Braves got scorching hot that not even the Dodgers could stop him. In 2020, Randy Rosarina took the league by storm, just got activated from the minors and Dude is hitting like 400-plus in the postseason. And then you go back several years. Look at the Washington Nationals with Howie Kendrick and Adam Eaton or David Freeze years and years ago with that St. Louis Cardinals team. So there's certain—that's there's that's the beauty of postseason baseball. You get these dudes that the average Jeffrey or Joe has never heard of, and it's not your household name that's getting this big hit. And when these guys get hot at this time of the year— Man, is it awesome to watch? And it's the difference maker in a big time series, whether it's a wild card series, a best of five, or a best of seven. And it's players like that that win teams' championships. We saw it last year with the Braves and what Rosario and Soler and Jock Peterson were able to do. And that's a large reason why I like the Cleveland Guardians and the St. Louis Cardinals, because not only did they have the starting pitching in the bullpens to keep their team in games, but from one through nine, any of those guys can kill you and hit a home run when you least expect it. So that's going to do it for what my thoughts are on the wildcard series. We're going to keep following this up week by week as we drop our episodes and just kind of check in on the postseason. So with that, let's transition into week four, the National Football League, another Yet again, crazy weekend of football, and it started off with Thursday Night Football between the Miami Dolphins and the Cincinnati Bengals. A rare Thursday Night Football W in terms of finally getting a good matchup on Thursday Night Football. I feel like every all NFL fans have suffered with the Thursday Night Football matchups that the NFL has put out, and it's not like it's getting any better over the next couple weeks. So finally, we get a gift on Thursday Night Football, but let's get into this game. Bengals win. 27-15 and the Dolphins came in 3-0 and into this game and it was just simply a very bad spot for the Dolphins heading into the game. You played a very physical game against the Buffalo Bills in extreme weather conditions. You could just tell the defense was a step slow. They were out in that scorching heat for 90 plays that defense was and coming off a short week I expected fatigue. I expected players that got hurt that were forced to play in this game such as Xavier Howard and Jalen Waddell they clearly weren't hundred percent and you can just tell the Bengals they knew Howard their number one cornerback was not healthy and Joe Burrow said if you want to line up T Higgins go do your damage against this clearly not 100% Xavier Howard that's what they did he eventually in the second half exited the game but the Bengals really took advantage of that matchup in this game and the Bengals played back-to-back solid games. Offensive line, after just allowing two sacks against the New York Jets in Week 3, only allow one sack against the Dolphins. So this offensive line starting to finally gel together. Now, as far as this offense goes, they find Joe Burrow was finally able to establish some explosive plays to all three of his receivers in Jamar Chase, Tee Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. And the Bengals' defense had two clutch interceptions, both by Von Bell, Once on a deep ball that Tyree killed. That was a ball that Tua throwed. And then once when the Dolphins were driving, which was a big-time momentum swing in this game, Dolphins with Teddy Bridgewater in, in the fourth quarter, trying to come back after everything that happened in this game with the Dolphins and Tua Tagovailoa, which was just very devastating to see. Very tough to watch. Just him on the floor, just for so long. As a football fan... And for somebody that wants, like anybody that wants to just see everybody be safe on the football field, that was really tough to see from Tua. Personally, he he shouldn't have not played in that game. And the NFL is doing tons of investigation in terms of his concussion on week three and everything that occurred in this matchup against the Bengals. But and Von Bell said, no siree, capitalize on a bad throw by Bridgewater which ended up being probably the biggest play of the game cuz the Bengals just controlled the game afterwards running the ball, hitting a big play to Chase, and that was all she wrote on Thursday night football. But this is a team in the Miami Dolphins. I, again, we don't know the extent of Tua Tagovailoa's injury with the concussion and how long he's going to be out. But if Teddy Bridgewater's out there with these explosive receivers and a very good defense, how can this team how is this team not just going to fall off the cliff. This is a team that's going to win and and continue. We've seen Bridgewater do it in New Orleans under Sean Payton. So with all these explosive receivers in Miami and, an, and a very smart play caller and Mike McDaniel that knows what he's doing, he's an offensive guru, how is McDaniel not going to put Bridgewater in the best situation to win? So with all that being stated, Bridgewater more than capable of winning football games. With Tua being absent. Let's transition into the Sunday games as we start out with the Vikings and the Saints. A game that was played in London and the Vikings win 28-25. to And historically these games that are played in London and internationally are really close. This game did not disappoint. Most of the time these games feature a lot of bad teams. This was a game that I knew was going to be close between the Vikings and the Saints. And this was a game with the Vikings offense between Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. They get it done. Jefferson 147 yards. And most all of his catches came on Marshawn Lattimore one-on-one, which was pretty surprising that Lattimore got this scorched up because as we know, Lattimore, one of the best cornerbacks in the National Football League. He's one of the best cover corners, especially against these top-tier wide receivers, if he gets scorched up, it's usually against a a lower-tier receiver. He lives up for the big-time matchups. And one thing about the Saints is that because of their defense and the personnel that they have, they will never double-team no matter how good the receiver is. So Dennis Allen said, Lattimore, you got Jefferson. And Jefferson, without a doubt, won that battle in London. Adam Thielen started to get... More targets, especially in that red zone area, like we saw in 2021. So Jefferson and Thielen are starting to rise to the occasion as we approach the middle of the season. Now, after this loss, one and three, Andy Dalton got the start for the very injury hindered Jameis Winston. Not to mention Alvin Kamara, an extremely late scratch. I know fantasy owners that that have Kamara on their team were not very happy because they said he was gonna play. And then an hour before kickoff, they decide to rule him out, and fantasy owners weren't too happy to wake up to him not playing when they started him. So that that race uh, that stirred the pot a little bit in the fantasy world this past weekend. And Michael Thomas didn't play in this game, and whenever you're missing Michael Thomas, it's just one less threat for the Vikings defense to deal with. But Andy Dalton played a solid game. You know, this is what the Red Rocket will do. He's either he's either gonna put on a really good performance. Or he's gonna stink the bed. It's as simple as that with this guy. And he put on a good effort in a game where he makes his first start as the Saints, coming in in a new system here. He's accepted the backup role officially now. Ever since he departed Cincinnati, but this is a team that is very experienced. I think Dalton is gonna be continue to flourish. But again, who in the heck knows with this guy? But the main thing is with the Saints is. Health, and if they could get back dudes like Camara and Thomas, and Dalton continues to perform, this defense is improving week by week. The Saints, despite being one and three, could potentially get back into the occasion. And just another thing too, Vikings have owned the Saints in the past couple of years. They beat them in two playoff games with that was with Drew Brees. And we all know in the NFL, you could look at head-to-head matchups between certain teams. Ownage is ownage. Whether it's the Niners owning the Rams, Vikings owning the Saints, Tom Brady owning the Falcons. This is how this league works because there are a lot of teams in this league. Based on what they do well, they can really neutralize what the opposition does really well. And we've seen that in certain matchups between certain teams over the years. And it is simply a one sided trend. Let's get into our next matchup between. The Cleveland Browns and the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons win 23-20 in a fourth quarter thriller. And this was a game that had close game written all over it. Two teams that can't close out the opposition late in football games. And if you look, every heading into week four, both of these teams have played starting off with the Falcons. Wasn't connecting with his receivers. He was just reckless. And this was the first... That's like his first reckless game since becoming an Atlanta Falcon. So Arthur Smith had to put the ball in the hands of his running backs. Now Cordero Patterson, who is a dude is an absolute stud. He's built like a linebacker, originally a wide receiver and a return specialist. He comes over to Atlanta and this guy is a full on bulldozing running back. He exits with an injury. So now they're dependent on Tyler Alagier, the rookie out of BYU and Caleb Huntley. Well, these dudes combined for 140 yards on the ground and Arthur Smith at one point on one of their touchdown drives ran the ball eight straight times. And you're not running the ball eight straight times if it's not working. It clearly worked there. It clearly worked on that drive. It clearly worked in the second half to put the Falcons away or to put the Browns away. And once again, Falcons find a way to close out. Another game. They closed out the game in Seattle because their defense. They did it again at home against the Browns because of their defense. Inside the two-minute warning, Grady Jarrett extremely clutch sack on second down inside the two-minute warning. This was the difference in the ball game because Jacoby Brissett was driving and approaching field goal range for Cade York. We saw it in week one when York drilled a 58-yard field goal. They were about to approach that range until Grady Jarrett came in had a monstrous sack, completely turned the Falcons' drive upside down, forced Jacoby Percet to make some throws way outside of his comfort zone. That allowed D. Alford to secure the game with ceiling interception, and the Falcons come away with the victory. But one thing I do want to talk about, this Falcons' defense, getting things done. And if you want to talk particularly in this game, A.J. Terrell. We talked about that, how this guy a first-round draft pick for the Falcons years ago. He needed to be better. In this game, this was one of his best games that he's played as a pro. He shut down Amari Cooper. One catch, nine yards. So that completely relied on B- Jacoby Brissett to force-feed Nick Chubb, as they always do. And it was the David Njoku and Donovan Peoples-Jones show. And to shut down their number one ride receiver at, after he had back-to-back 100-yard games, big-time game for A.J. Terrell. And this Browns defense wasn't up to par yet again. Now, if you don't have your best two defenders in Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney, that's going to hurt. And that's a large reason why that the Falcons did what they did on the ground game because you had pretty much two starters and two backups on that line. Falcons dominated the line of scrimmage and allowed the biggest play in the game late in the fourth quarter on top of a face mask penalty on that defense. So I don't know what I'm getting with this Browns defense on a week-to-week basis because they blow the game to the New York Jets because of their defense and busted coverages. Then they play on a short week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They play really good and made it a point of emphasis that we're not going to allow the big vertical play down the field. And then here we are against Atlanta against an offense and a passing offense that struggled all of a sudden and the most crucial part of the game finds a way to an extremely bad busted coverage, which flipped the whole game around in favor of the Falcons. So, again, like we said before, the Cleveland Browns are a team that we can't trust late in the fourth quarter because of the defense, because of K- Stefanski just not being able to close out games with this offense. And for the Atlanta Falcons, this is, again, a step in the right direction. You're 2-2. Two and two. You've had... Back-to-back games where you've closed out the in the fourth quarter with your defense on the field, and now you get to go to Tampa Bay in week five and prove to the entire National Football League that you could go into Tampa and potentially take this division. It is a very tough ask. However, this Falcons defense is playing with house money, and that would be one heck of an achievement if they go into Tampa and take out Tom Brady and have a winning record 5 weeks into the season. Let's get into an NFC East matchup between the Washington Commanders and the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys win 25-10 in a game in which they dominated in the on the line of scrimmage yet again. They've been doing this all year ladies and gentlemen and they do it again against their division rival Washington Commanders and this Commanders offensive line. They had the Philadelphia they played the Philadelphia Eagles last week. And they got shredded on the line there. Now they play the Dallas Cowboys in Jerry World. And they get torched again. This offensive line clearly cannot handle a good pass rush. Wentz was under pressure the whole game. Yet again, seven tackle for losses for that Cowboy defense. And it's back-to-back weeks where the commander's offense never gained rhythm. Now, as far as this Dallas defense is concerned, they're leading the charge. And the offense is just... Doing enough with Cooper Rush just to win football games. They did it against the Commanders. They did it against the Giants on the road. And they did it against the Bengals at home. Rush 4-0 as the Cowboys starter dating back to last year. And Cooper Rush, he's just taking what the defense is giving him. He's taking advantage of a bad Commander secondary. This defense gives up the most big plays in the NFL. So what does Cooper Rush do? Let's throw it deep to C.D. Lamb. Let's throw it deep to Noah Brown. He did exactly that. The problem was here was even though they dominated in this game and they won 25-10, to they still settled for four field goals. Now, that's not a, a massive issue, but it's one of those things that you're going to want to correct, especially if Cooper Rush is still out there in week five due to the Dak Prescott injury, and especially because you're playing the Rams next week. and. I wouldn't want to settle for too many field goals against the Rams because the Rams are one of those teams that they're talented enough that they could score. And the Commanders is one thing where you could kick four field goals and you could still win the game by two possessions. But scoring four field goals against the Rams, that could potentially not get it done for you. Now, I'm really interested to see these week five matchups for both of these squads, starting off with the Commanders. They play the Tennessee Titans. How does this offensive line hold up? Because now they've played the Commanders back-to-back. They've played extremely stout pass rushes in back-to-back weeks in the Eagles and in the Cowboys. This Titans defensive line is not, it's not on that level. On the, it's not on the Eagles and Cowboys level. So can this Commanders team put potentially do some work how they did against the Jags in week one? And can this Titans... Defensive front caused problems in week five. Now, on the Cowboys, we kind of talked about it. Cowboys versus Rams. This is a big time matchup. There's still questions about who's going to be the quarterback. Is it going to be Cooper Rush? Is it going to be Dak Prescott coming fresh off the injury? These are two big games coming up for the Cowboys. They get the Rams in week five, they get the Eagles in week six. Who's going to be the quarterback? Jerry Jones is getting his quarterback controversy because, sure, Cooper Rush. He's not playing the be- He's not playing the quality of opponents that he's not playing top tier teams in the NFL. But he's finding ways to win of going off on the Rams, a very depleted Rams offensive line, in which we'll- we will get to later in this episode. So Cowboys dominated in this game. However, I'm interested. To see the Cowboys schedule does ramp up significantly. Can this offense put enough points on the board, and can these defenses shut down? offenses such as the Philadelphia Eagles that are absolutely rolling so watch for both of these teams in the upcoming weeks because the commanders are looking like they're on their way down and the Cowboys look like they're on the rise we've had a 48 to 45 final score in the history of the National Football League to so so to all you agami people out there you could go and go ahead and etch a sketch that final score into the database this was a game that both of these teams, one of the two of the worst defenses, getting together in Ford Field, and this is the that de- this is like this is like watching a game on College Football Saturday when you got two offensive powerhouses just going at it and exchanging blows. And the thing about the shootouts in the NFL comes down to two things: who gets the ball, who has the ball last, and who makes the less mistakes. And the team that. Did both, did both of those was the Seattle Seahawks. They got the ball last when they were up three points and all they needed to do was just get one first down because Detroit used all their timeouts. They did that with Rashad Penny and man, with this Detroit Lions defense, Rashad Penny, man, this guy looked like he was Marshawn Lynch and Barry Sanders. But that's all on the Detroit Lions defense because this is a historically bad defense. And when we talk about Seattle making less mistakes. They scored a defensive touchdown. Tariq Woolen had a pick six on Jared Goff on a terrible throw by Jared Goff. He hasn't had too many bad throws this season. He's been pretty good. But that mistake right there cost them the game. Really switched, flipped the game around because Detroit was chasing in this game big time. But they made it interesting late. And Seattle was running the ball like some animals. And Detroit had no answer for it. So that's just the way the cookie crumbles. But I just want to talk about the Detroit Lions because th- this team is just fascinating to me that they can't stop a mediocre offense and yet they got this all these playmakers and Jared Goff is playing out of his mind with this offensive line. So the Detroit Lions are the number one offense in the NFL and they're also the worst defense. They're scoring 35 points a game, but they're allowing 35.3 points per game. So this is just... This Detroit Lions team is one and three, despite having the best offense and the worst defense, and they just lose all these close games. This team is just is just crazy. Like this is the definition of just give me all the Detroit Lion skill position players on fantasy, and I'll go ahead and take advantage of that. But whatever, this game was just you can't take neither of these two teams seriously. Yeah, they look good on Sunday because. Both defenses were just that bad, but going forward, two rebuilding franchises. Detroit's actually not that far because the Lions' defense is what's really holding this team back, and if they were just middle-of-the-pack defensive-wise, this team could be 3-1 and one and potentially 4-0. and oh. Let's transition into an AFC South division clash between the Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts. Titans win on the road 24-17. And this was a game for both teams heading in that haven't played to expectations. And this was a game where both offenses have struggled. Both teams have dealt with offensive line issues. The defenses have been better than the offenses, but not great. And whose offense was going to be more stable? And it was clearly the Tennessee Titans, not only because they won this game, but because between the two star-studded running backs that these two teams have, with Derrick Henry on the Titans and Jonathan Taylor on the Indianapolis Colts Henry won his matchup by a significant margin Derrick Henry on 22 carries 114 yards on the ground one touchdown on the day Jonathan Taylor 20 carries 42 yards and zero touchdowns so this was a game that Derrick Henry took over he had some monstrous runs he got a touchdown taken away for him due to a bogus penalty so this was a game dominated by the Tennessee Titans don't get fooled by the scoreboard because the Titans were up 24-3 to at one point in this game. And then the Colts kind of put up some garbage points in the fourth quarter. But this was a game where somebody had to win. And it was going to come down to who played better. And it was clearly the Tennessee Titans. And if you're the Indianapolis Colts, you're 1-2-1. and one. Mo Alley-Cox was your leading receiver. The offensive line is in shambles. This Colts team has some massive problems. It's not like the Tennessee Titans are going any better. So this is an AFC South division as a whole that is compl- That is totally up for grabs, and we talked about how the beginning of the se- at the beginning of the season that these Titans and the Titan and Colts matchups were gonna really matter. And all of a sudden, both of these two teams have a massive issue outside of one another, and that is the Jacksonville Jaguars because they're the team that's playing the best brand of football in the AFC South. Up next, we got the Chicago Bears at the New York Giants, and the Giants win 20-12 to in the snooze fest of the weekend. If you had this game on, not a lot of action on either side, but let's just go through it very quickly. When you get two offensively challenged teams against each other, it's going to come down to which defense plays better and who can simply make more plays, and the New York Giants did just that. And it was a lot of Saquon Barkley. 31 carries, 146 yards. Right now, he's the vocal point of this offense. He's the he's the engine of this offense right now. Simply because you don't know what you're going to get out of Daniel Jones on a week-to-week basis. And the receivers for this New York Giants team, not a lot to offer. A lot of injuries on this team. A lot of long-term injuries for Giant receivers. So it's a lot of Daniel Bellinger and Tanner Hudson specifically in this game. And sprinkled in with the some Darius Slayton and Richie James Jr. So, so not a lot in the passing game for the New York Giants that you're going to probably see in the ongoing future until a, a large majority of those guys get back. On the Chicago Bears end of things, not a lot going for them either. Justin Field pressured yet again by in this offensive line not giving him a lot of time to work. Six sacks did that Bears offensive line allow. And I think we all... Know by now, if we've watched Chicago Bears football four weeks into the season, that this is the worst offense in the National Football League. They can't do anything within the passing game. Their biggest play of the year in the passing game came against the New York Giants this week. It was a 56-yard bomb to Darnell Mooney. Outside of that, there wasn't a lot going on. Their ident- the identity for this team is clearly to run the ball. They couldn't do that here. 19 carries, 77 yards did their leading back. Kaleo Herbert, David Montgomery, didn't play in this game their lead back. So just not a lot going on here for these two offenses, and I don't expect a lot to happen in the ongoing future here for either of these teams. Let's just be honest. The New York Giants are 3-1, but they've played a lot of crappy offenses, and they squeak their way out of tight games. And the Chicago Bears, sure, you're 2-2, two and two, but I think I think now reality... I think now the Bears are going to get their reality check, and you're going to see that the Chicago Bears are going to come down the earth, they're not going to be able to move the football, and if they get behind in a lot of games, all of a sudden you can't run the ball, and with that offensive line and Justin Fields' pass protection, there's only so much he can do, and it's not like he's played the best brand of football, so the Chicago Bears, I think, are in some deep water. I think the New York Giants, yeah, they they have a favorable schedule for a large majority of the year, but this is a team that... I think it's going to come down to earth a little bit. I think their record at 3-1 and one is just the- our next matchup. We have the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Eagles win 29-21. And this was a very fascinating matchup heading into week four just because Jacksonville had that big win over the Los Angeles Chargers on the road. And they were playing a really good brand of football. And of course, the Philadelphia Eagles, the last undefeated team heading into week four. And they're still undefeated with the 4-0 record. But this was we're starting to learn more and more week to week about this Philadelphia Eagles team. And for the first time, they finally faced some adversity. And that was playing with the deficit. Jacksonville got off to a real hot start in this ball game. Jalen Hurts in the first quarter. And then Jacksonville drove on another drive. And all of a sudden, the Eagles are down 14 to nothing. So we finally saw the Eagles. What are they going to do with the deficit? And they did with They do best, and that is put up points in the second quarter. How about this Eagles team dominating in the second quarter? 85 out of 115 points that they scored this year have came in the second quarter. That's just mind-boggling to me. Second quarter dominance for the Philadelphia Eagles has worked out quite well, but in terms of getting it done for the Eagles, a lot of Miles Sanders just because this was a game in Philly where the weather conditions were pretty wacky. 134 yards on the ground, two touchdowns from Kyle Sanders, and it was a lot of this Philly defense just causing havoc on the line of scrimmage. Five turnovers for Jacksonville Jaguars in this game, yet they only lost by eight points. They had a chance late to drive, and that's a little bit of a red flag if you're the Philadelphia Eagles. You force five turnovers, yet Trevor Lawrence and company still have a chance to come and potentially tie tie a game, tie a game late in the fourth quarter and potentially force overtime, but the Philadelphia Eagles offense wasn't firing on all cylinders. This was really the first test, somewhat of a test. Jacksonville was a little bit overachievers to start the season. I don't think anybody expected them to be two and one, two and one heading into Week Four. But yeah, we'll we'll cut them some slack. He did have a little bit of some weather, but this Eagles team did fight back. They put up a solid performance. They dominated the line of scrimmage. They took control of the ball, specifically within that run game. Jacksonville really had no answer for it. But if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, you're 4-0. You're feeling good about your, yourself. You got, you're, st- you're winning football games. You're still undefeated. You got a big game next week against the Arizona Cardinals. The following week, you got the Dallas Cowboys, which is going to be a big-time divisional tilt in Week 6, which that'll be an interesting game. On all, on all levels on both sides in that one and for the Jacksonville Jaguars yeah you want to get the win with the with Doug Peterson's reunion in Philadelphia but if you're Jacksonville and you turned over the ball five times and you were still able to hang around with the, a really good football team by the way you got to feel good about yourself you didn't play your best brand of football but this was a game that You made your mistakes, and Doug Peterson will correct with the young football team. They'll they'll go over the tape accordingly, and they'll correct their mistakes. Let's get into the New York Jets and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Jets win 24-20 on the road in Pittsburgh. And this was a game that, in the first half, started out very ugly. Mitch Trubisky and the offense wasn't really flowing. Zach Wilson wasn't playing his best brand of football after coming off his injury but all of a sudden the second half started to get pretty interesting as Mike Tomlin finally pulled the plug on Mitchell Trubisky. Kenny Pickett the rookie out of Pitt comes in for the remainder of this ball game and is going to be the starter for the time being now but Kenny Pickett right out of the get-go came in with confidence he had two rushing touchdowns in this game and he only played in the second half he did have three interceptions in the second half. But don't let that confuse you. Because two out of three of those interceptions. Were tipped by his receivers. Just a tad high. By Pickett on the throws. So it really wasn't his fault. And then the third interception. Was a Hail Mary. To try to win the game. No shame in that interception. But it's going to it's gonna show up on the stat sheet. Nonetheless. But the New York Jets win this f- football game. And I have to say I'm quite impressed in the Jets. You can just tell that they were playing. With some extra juice in this in this football game. Robert Sala, Mike LaFleur getting a little creative in the playbook. They run the they run their version of the Philly special, and that was Braxton Berrios throwing a passing touchdown to Zach Wilson for six. That occurred in the first half. And then we saw the New York Jets defense started getting takeaways, interceptions, and the defense as a whole was just played much better than what we've seen in weeks past. And sure, part of that is the Pittsburgh Steelers offense not functioning to what it should be. But I think this New York Jets team is on the rise. And I was really impressed with Zach Wilson, especially in this in that f- fourth quarter when he needed a game-winning drive. He put the team on his back and he got the job done. He went six for six on that game-winning drive inside the two-minute warning. And some of the throws that he were, he was making, I was really impressed because nobody's seen that out of Zach Wilson. Specifically that one throw... That got them in the red zone at Wilson through to Corey Davis. Man, a spot that only Corey Davis can catch it. Very low on the turf. A perfect throw, if you ask me. I was. This was one of the few performances that Zach Wilson's put up where we finally saw why he was drafted number two overall a couple of years ago. And I think that's a good sight to see if you're a Jets fan. Now, as far as the Pittsburgh Steelers are concerned... It was time to it was time to pull the plug on Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky is just let's just let's just drop the facts. Trubisky is one of these quarterbacks that need everything to go right. He needs elite receivers. He needs a decent, a pretty good offensive line, and he needs a good defense to back him up. He's one of those guys that needs a perfect support system around him. Kenny Pickett, he's twenty four years old. He's not some twenty one year old kid. They should have announced him as the starter before this game. But whatever, better late than never. Now it's Kenny Pickett's team. The keys are officially his. Time to go rock and roll with Pickett. I think he, down the road, he is eventually going to do good, but he's facing a gauntlet of a schedule coming up. So we'll see how the Pittsburgh Steelers progress within their offense under Matt Canada with Kenny Pickett. And for the New York Jets, I think this was a big-time win going on the road in the hostile environment. And I think the New York Jets are going to raise some eyebrows Let's get into one of the big-time matchups of Week 4, and that is the Buffalo Bills at the Baltimore Ravens. Bills win 23-20 to in an absolute nail-biter that came down to the wire in Baltimore. And this was a game where the Baltimore Ravens had a strong lead for a decent amount of this game. This was a game in Baltimore that the weather conditions were not the friendliest, and that there was rain, wind, Mother Nature clearly affecting how this game was being played and we talked about it last week The the buffalo bills don't fare too well in these crappy weather games we saw it in the humidity in miami and here we go we got rain and wind in baltimore in this game we said if you're playing the ball the buffalo bills and the weather is not perfect conditions you got a chance against this team and this game once again came right down to the wire and was really tight in the fourth quarter the Buffalo Bills now, there's been a trend with this team that they start out slow in the first half. They were down in this game 14 to 3. In fact, they were down 20 to 3 in the second quarter and this Buffalo Bills team, I don't know what it is, but they just they played against the Rams and that game was tied at halftime. The Tennessee Titans game in the second quarter was relatively close. The Miami Dolphins game last week was pretty close. And once again, we have The Buffalo Bills playing in a a deficit in the first half. So that's a very interesting trend for this Buffalo Bills team. And everybody anoints them, including myself, as a juggernaut. But they've been in tight games in the first half. But it's that third quarter that they really separate themselves. And the second half overall, and it's how they win football games. They win and show up late in the games. 40-0, to they outscore their opponents this year in the third quarter. So that's been a one-sided... Affair for the Buffalo Bills that strongly favored them, but let's fast forward late into this game in the in the fourth quarter because this was a tie game for the entirety of the fourth quarter until pretty much triple zeros. It was twenty to twenty. The Buff the Baltimore Ravens were driving in this game, and all of a sudden John Harbaugh started to get reckless with his play calling. He had fourth and goal in a tie game. I understand you got Lamar Jackson as your quarterback, but all of a sudden. He decides, you know what? We got the best kicker in the league. We're not going to utilize him and just take the points. Instead, in a tie game on fourth and goal, we're going to throw the ball and it's going to get intercepted in the end zone, which was a terrific play by Jordan Poyer. You can tell you can tell that the Buffalo defense wasn't 100% in that Miami game and for obvious reasons their whole secondary was knocked out. But man, Jordan Poyer returning in this ball game was big time for this Buffalo secondary. He had two interceptions in this game, one at the start of the fourth quarter and one on that fourth and goal play down the stretch, which really allowed Buffalo to get that fourth fourth and goal stop and set them up for that game-winning drive that they eventually went on. Now, I'm just, I just find it very interesting with John Harbaugh, and the players clearly didn't like it because Marcus Peters was throwing, throwing a tantrum. John Harbaugh... Got a lot of criticism from his players on that fourth and goal play call. And also, because they didn't convert that fourth and goal, the Buffalo Bills were just able to settle for three, for a field goal, drill the clock, and control the time of possession, and propel themselves to a victory by basically doing what they wanted in the playbook. Now, Marcus Peters was really aggravated at John Harbaugh because he... Because if you notice, when the Buffalo Bills were on the goal line, you could tell the Baltimore Ravens kind of didn't know what to do in terms of do we let... Because they didn't have any timeouts. the So, or do we let them score a touchdown here so we could allow Lamar Jackson to potentially have a chance? Or are we just going to let them drill the clock and have them... S- so it's just very interesting because it seemed like the Baltimore Ravens coaching staff wasn't communicating with their defense at all in terms of that late-game scenario and and strategy in terms of what they wanted to do because Marcus Peters, who's a hothead, if you've been watching this league, you know that Marcus Peters is going to have his opinion and say what he wants to say. But this was a tough loss for Baltimore because it was John Harbaugh, believe it or not, who made mistakes by going for on fourth and goal, not executing and communicating with his team defensively. And I am going to call out for John Harbaugh with this because because he had every excuse in the world last year to go for it on fourth and goal. he had four string defensive backs that he was rolling out in the second half of the year. Dude, you got no excuse now. you're a two in one football team. yeah, you have your secondary's not too good this year to start out, but you got veterans and Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey and you got a decent pass rush that can get to the quarterback. You gotta trust your team in the situation in that situation late in the game and simply just take the points knowing that the Buffalo Bills need a touchdown late in the ballgame. It was just a very risky play. It was just too risky. It was just too risky knowing that you got this Buffalo Bills offense that is an absolute juggernaut that simply needed three points to win a football game. I didn't like the decision. Clearly, the, the players didn't like the decision. I bet you John Harbaugh is going to hear it from people within the Baltimore organization. Let's transition to a game between the Los Angeles Chargers and the Houston Texans. Chargers win 34-24 to in a game where Justin Herbert absolutely shredded the Houston Texans through the air. Fractured ribs didn't look too bad in this game. Didn't seem to be bothering him too much. 340 passing yards, two touchdowns for Justin Herbert. We talked about the Houston Texans defense and how the pass defense was so good against Chicago. And then all of a sudden, these guys decide to make me look bad and get killed by Justin Herbert and his arm. But this was a game by the, Houston, by the Los Angeles Chargers where they put up a lot of points in the first half. 27 first half points. This thing looked like a blowout. 27 to 7. And the final score was 34 to 24. But did not give up in this football game despite being down three scores. They came in, Davis Mills and the Houston Texans, in the second half and just played their brand of football. We saw a lot of Damian Pierce, 131 yards on the ground for him with the touchdown. He busted out a big-time run for 75 yards. That kick-started that Texans offense. Nico Collins, we talked about at the beginning of the season that this guy needed to get more involved and that he was going to be a— Big time for this passing offense. Well, Mills hit a bomb to him for 58 yards. Brandon Cooks gets his first touchdown of the year. Rex Burkett doing things in the flat and doing his thing on wide receiver screens. But this Texans team, despite being down 20 points did not give up, and despite this team being 0-3-1, I have to say that based on what we've seen out of the Texans during the first four weeks, that record that they have is fraudulent. Remember, in week one, they were in a dogfight against the Colts. They dominated that game. That one resulted in a tie. They should have won that one. They lost by seven points against the Denver Broncos, hanging around in that football game in week two. In week three, they should have won against the Chicago Bears. But Roquan Smith for the Chicago just made a big-time play in a big-time moment inside the two-minute warning to basically propel the Bears over the Texans in week three. And yeah, wasn't the best performance Obviously, from a pass defense perspective for the Houston Texans in Week 4, but to only lose this game by 10 points and to say that you were actually in this game when you were getting absolutely drilled in the first half doesn't look too bad for a team that is clearly in full-on rebuild mode. But for the Chargers, yeah, you did a lot of damage through the air. Everyone gonna look at how Austin Eckler got three touchdowns, which good for him, he needed a big time performance because he is a big part of this offense. But the Los Angeles Chargers are still not running the ball well. Twenty seven carries overall on eighty one yards. That's three yards per carry. That's still not going to get it done for a team that has pretty high expectations and aspirations. You're the Chargers. Sure, you're happy to get out of here with the win. But at the same time, if if you allowed the a bottom feeder in the Houston Texans to come back in this football game and nearly Come back and win it once again. There's some red flags with this football team in terms of playing consistently for 60 minutes. And for Houston, I'm telling you, 0-3 and 1. They always say you are what your record says you are. I don't think so for this Houston Texans team. And I'm telling you, based on the effort that they bring out week in and week out, they're gonna catch one of these teams that overlook them by surprise. And again, this is not a football team from a personnel standpoint that's going to jump out of the page, but it's the effort that matters. And you appreciate a team that clearly doesn't have too high of expectations to come out and bring it in week in and week out, even though that we all know that they're going to go through their growing pains over the course of the season. Let's get into a game between the Arizona Cardinals and the Carolina Panthers. Cardinals win. 26-16 26 to 16 as they go on the road and improve to two and two on the young season. And this was just a total get-right game for the Arizona Cardinals. They got their first win against the Las Vegas Raiders, but let's just let's just be honest. They this that was not a complete game they played. They got a large percentage of their points in that victory in the fourth quarter. And a lot of let's just be honest too. Luck by Kyler Murray. Two-point conversions here. Making impossible things happen with his legs. The Cardinals just needed a full-on 60 minutes of just good football. And for the most part, they got it here. Kind of started out rough with Kyler Murray throwing a pick six to Frankie Louvu, But after that, especially in that second half, they just got it together. They got their receivers involved. James Conner, Eno Benjamin started to get things going in the run game. Hollywood Brown, 88 yards. With a touchdown to lead Cardinal receiver Zach Ertz, starting to, who's had a heavy workload in this Cardinals offense with all the injuries that they suffered, he gets a touchdown. And Rondale Moore, he didn't have a big impact in this game, but he will have an impact as the season progresses. He had three catches for 11 yards. He's that big-time vertical threat that, with especially with Hopkins out, that for the next for a couple more weeks, the Cardinals are gonna really enjoy having him back on this football team, and it's just going to open everything else for this Cardinal offense. As for the Carolina Panthers side of things, man, there really isn't too much to talk about. Kirsten McCaffrey got a lot of the workload here. If Christian McCaffrey is leading your team, sure, that's a good thing, but he was the only guy that really got involved in this game, and Baker Mayfield, let's just be honest, you know, we've been I've been a big Baker Mayfield supporter because I thought the Cleveland Browns really threw him under the bus on his way out. He had a, a decent performance in week one. But after week one, this guy's been terrible. 22 for 36 against the Cardinals. This is not a, a top tier Cardinal defense. And if you're going 22 for 36 with one touchdown and two interceptions, I'm sorry, but that's not going to get it done. So Baker, you know, he's he's getting a lot of heat from the, from the Panther reporters. Four weeks into the season, and let's just be honest: Matt Rule's not a good coach. He's a, he's without a doubt getting fired this season, and the personnel is just not good. DJ Moore, he hasn't been what he should be. Robbie Anderson, whatever. They've hit a couple plays here and there. It's basically basically the Christian McCaffrey show in this offense, and even Christian McCaffrey has had a down year for his standards. So this is a Panthers team. You know they're one and three, four weeks into the season. And even their, even their one victory against the Saints, you know, that was a game that they shouldn't have won. It was basically one play by LaVisca Chennault that basically won them that game. And now in week five, you're getting the San Francisco 49ers who are coming off a big time win against the Los Angeles Rams and have the number one defense. How's Baker Mayfield going to figure this out? So the Carolina Panthers are trending in a very bad direction right now. And I think sooner than later, you're going to start David Tepper, the owner of the Panthers, he's gonna have to go. He get, he's gonna have to start going fire sale on everybody here because this Panthers team has got some massive problems. Let's get into from start to finish, and let's talk about the New England Patriots, a Patriots team that was heading in to this ball game with their starting quarterback Mac Jones ruled out, so it was going to be Brian Hoyer, who's been around forever, had too many opportunities to come into ball games. Early in the first half, Hoyer gets knocked out and would not return in this ballgame. So it would be the rookie out of Western Kentucky, Bailey Zappi, that would get his first NFL action and handle it quite well. The New England Patriots did a really good job of not forcing Zappi to do too much in his first NFL start. Has to jump right in. He was getting the second team reps all throughout the week. So to come in here, cold turkey, and just become a game manager, and let the run game do all the work as well as that Patriots defense handled their business. All Zappy had to do was make an occasional throw here and there and just let Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson do damage in the run game. Stevenson, along with Harris, five yards per carry. So this Green Bay Packers defense had a hard time stopping the run on the on those two talented Patriot running backs had to be a massive adjustment because when he was at Western Kentucky a year ago, he was playing in a crazy air raid offense, and he was in the gun like 97% of the snaps over there for the Hilltoppers. Now he comes to a comp- a completely different system in New England, and all of a sudden he's under center a lot, and that is a massive adjustment. Because you come over here slinging the ball 60 times in a game, and all of a sudden, you're only throwing the ball 15 times, and you're facing a big-time defense in the Green Bay Packers. It's not like you're facing any Conference USA scrubs in college. This is the NFL. So a massive adjustment for Zappy. The coaching staff for the Patriots handled it very well. But for the Green Bay Packers, sure, Aaron Rodgers had 251 passing yards with two touchdowns. But this was a game, like, you look at all the numbers for the Packers. They didn't look too impressive on the football field. Sure, Lazard had 116 passing yards, and Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon combined for 183 yards on the ground, which they did damage on the ground, and we knew that coming in that they were going to with that nasty one-two punch. But this Packers passing offense is just still not getting it together. Romeo Dobbs had a crucial drop in the end zone in this game, and it was simply... New England dominating in the ground game. A big time pick six in the first half that was returned by Jack Jones that kept them in this ball game. And yeah, it went to overtime this game, and the Patriots had a chance. But Aaron Rodgers, when it was all said and done, made the big time plays to Lazard, had a couple first downs to Romeo Dobbs and Mason Crosby, and the Green Bay Packers escape a very tight. Let's transition to the AFC West as the Denver Broncos take on the Las Vegas Raiders. A Vegas Raiders team that heading into this matchup was 0 3 facing against a very sh- a must win game for the Raiders. They look extra juiced in this ball game and it was simply a good spot for the Raiders to come home with the victory. Raiders at home coming off a very tight ball game against the Tennessee Titans. And this was a game that they were able to do whatever they wanted. Josh Jacobs, 144 yards, two touchdowns. Monster game for Jacobs on the ground. And Devontae Adams finally gets involved to the point where that and Devontae Adams, things weren't forced to him. It looked more fluent and organic within the offense. 101 yards on nine catches for Devontae Adams. So if you're a Raider fan, that's good to see. And for the Denver Broncos side of things, this game was actually pretty tight in that first half and throughout the game. But the massive momentum swing in this game was the Melvin Gordon fumble and recovery by the Ra- by the Raiders, which was returned for a touchdown. That completely changed the dynamic of the game. Raiders all of a sudden were playing with the lead. They were able to run the ball with Jacobs, and they were able to cash in on their opportunities in the red zone. Just simply putting up points when they needed to. Now the Denver Broncos offense did look a lot better than what we've seen in the first three weeks. Russell Wilson big play to KJ Hamler for 55 yards. Big play to Jerry Judy for 32 yards. They Wilson hit Kendall Hinton for 35 yards. So a lot more big time plays from this Broncos offense. However, the massive story after the game was the injury to Javante Williams. He's out for the season, which is a massive blow for this Broncos ground game. He was looking really good, putting up monster numbers, moving the sticks, most importantly. And now you got Melvin Gordon, who's had some massive ball security issues as your primary back. And all of a sudden, you got to promote Mike Boone and potentially do some stuff to ex- to extend this running back room because it's looking pretty thin after that Javante Williams injury but if you're the Raiders this was a must-win game you brought home a good performance but the massive question is you are one and three and this was a big-time division win now you got the Kansas City Chiefs in week five and can the Raiders go to Kansas City and come up with a big-time win a place historically that has not treated them well I'm interested to see how the Raiders perform now that they got their first win out of the way and the offense with let's transition into Sunday night football between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a big time matchup coming into week four because you got Patrick Mahomes and the GOAT himself, Tom Brady, going at it, and of course, a Super Bowl rematch from a couple of years ago. First time these two teams meet since that Super Bowl in which the Buccaneers won in blowout fashion, but this was a game where the Kansas City Chiefs simply this is a game where the Kansas City Chiefs simply dominated from start to finish. Chiefs won this one 41-31. It may seem close, but it really wasn't. Buccaneers were chasing from the opening kickoff as the Chiefs won the coin toss. They deferred to the second half. Buccaneers get the kickoff to start out the first half and instantly fumble. That puts the Kansas City Chiefs in instant red zone possession. Two plays later, Travis Kelsey's in the end zone for six. And then after that, it was just simply touchdown after touchdown by Kansas City. And the crazy part is that they were doing it in so many different ways. Whether it was Travis Kelsey making some insane catches from Mahomes, whether it was Mahomes doing his magic tricks in terms of escaping the pocket and throwing basketball chess passes, or whether it's Noah Gray under center, the tight end. It's just amazing how... the the Kansas City only scored touchdowns so consistently. Andy Reid, this guy is simply a genius in terms of designing plays. Really fun to watch the Kansas City Chiefs play football because you know that you're going to get something that you've never seen before on a week-to-week basis. And for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like we said, they were chasing for the entirety of this game. They were scoring touchdowns as well. But this Buccaneers defense simply just couldn't stop the juggernaut of the Kansas City Chiefs offense. And that's quite surprising because, sure, Kansas City, they got tons of weaponry with Valdez Scantling and Kelsey and Juju Smith-Schuster. The list goes on and on and on. But this Buccaneers defense, as we know, is one of the best in the business. And to see them get dashed the way they did was quite surprising. You never see this Buccaneers defense allow 41 points. In a football game, it'll probably be the last time you see it, but it was you can just tell Mahomes wanted revenge from that Super Bowl loss. You can tell he was on one in this game. He was just more hungry for the victory when it was all said and done. And now the Kansas City Chiefs improved to 3-1 and one while the Buccaneers sitting at 2-2 two and two after back-to-back losses for this Buccaneers team. But as far as both of these teams go, we already know that we're going to see these two teams in January when it's Probably all said and done. Buccaneers with Brady. The only thing that's been holding them back is health. And Casey. they just continue to win games consistently. And yeah, they had that bad loss in Indianapolis. But we already know that was a one-stop shop in terms of performing poorly. Let's transition into Monday Night Football matchup between the San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams. 49ers win at home 24-9. to And this was a performance where they just dominated both sides of the ball. Jimmy G played a very efficient game. A lot of quick hitter stuff, 239 passing yards for one touchdown. And I was very surprised to see how often the Niners threw the ball, especially early in the ball game. Remember last year when the 49ers played the Rams on Monday Night Football and Levi's. That first couple drives in last year's matchup, they were killing the clock for over 8 to 10 minutes per drive. This year, they do it just as effectively. Instead, the main goal for the 49ers was just to get the ball out of Jimmy G's hands as quickly as possible and let dudes like Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Kyle Huszczyk, Jawan Jennings, the list goes on, do their damage in the yak category, and that is yards after the catch. And we already know that the 49ers do that so well. But this defense for the 49ers, man, we said it at the beginning of the year that this defense is going to be as good as it was in that Super Bowl year in 2019. And here we are, four weeks in to the NFL season, and the Niners' defense is ranked number one. No surprise at all. I totally saw this coming. Just the amount of pressure they create on the line of scrimmage to the opposition. Stafford simply had nowhere to go. Part of that, a large percentage of that was his offensive line. Third string center. Second string left guard. Second string left tackle I mean the offensive line for the Rams is without a doubt the most depleted offensive line they are very thin on that line as a whole right now and I think long term if they don't get a lot of these guys back it's going to be a massive problem for this team and we saw this was yet again the Cooper Cup show for the Los Angeles Rams 14 receptions 19 targets for Cooper Cup 122 yards that is just absolute insanity. And if you're expect, I don't care how good you are. If you're expecting that much out of one guy, at some point, he's got to give out over the course of 60 minutes. Diomedor Lenore, who has been playing nickel for the 49ers, he's been doing a terrific job. He actually locked down Cup a couple times when they were trying to target him. He's been a big part of that Niners defense that no one is talking about. And Talanoa Hufanga, the Tongan Tiger with that pick six. To basically blow up the game and put put the game out of reach. Just an an awesome game on both sides for the 49ers. Specifically on that defense not even allowing a touchdown. And in a game where Matthew Stafford got sacked 7 times. And the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo getting sacked 0 times. Everyone was talking about how big the Eric Armstead return was after not playing in Denver. But the Daniel Brunskill return was the biggest thing for me because if you go back to past years when the 49ers get together with the Rams, Daniel Brunskill, especially in the run-blocking game, does a terrific job on Aaron Donald. You know, they were rotating rookie right guard Spencer Burford and Daniel Brunskill in and out because they wanted to see how the rookie was going to hold up on Aaron Donald, which he did a decent job. But when Brunskill is in there and they put two guys On Aaron Donald, this Niners offensive line simply just knows how to shut him down in these types of games in the regular season. Now, one thing to keep an eye out on this Niners team as a whole, specifically within that offensive line, is the left tackle spot. We all know that Trent Williams did get hurt in that Denver Broncos game and is out with a high ankle sprain for several weeks. But Colton McKivitz is also just got placed on the IR, and I think that's a massive blow for this team because, sure, it's one thing to lose the best left tackle in the National Football League. And Colton McKivitz, second-string left tackle for this team can also play several positions on the line. The fact that he gets hurt is big time because when Williams got hurt last year in the playoffs, Colton McKivitz came in and did some terrific work in the pass-blocking game for the 49ers. So to lose him... Now, all of a sudden, you got Jalen Moore, second-year man out of Western Michigan. And we saw in that Denver Broncos game, he did not look good. So the Niners had to load up on the line of scrimmage, had to put a tight end to give Jalen Moore a little bit of some support. So keep an eye on that over the upcoming weeks because McKivitz is on the IR. Trent Williams is out for the next several weeks. And again, this is still a very young offensive line. We got Aaron Banks who's played some Terrific ball. Jake Brendel, the center. Right guard, Spencer Burford. However, we'll see how they, the Niners handle Daniel Brunskill coming back. But Jalen Moore, he's had his growing pains to start the season. Interested to see how all that works out for the 49ers. And again, a big time win for the 49ers. Sure, they own the Rams in the regular season. Jimmy G, 7-0 and against the Rams' lifetime now. But this is this was simply a big time win for the 49ers because down the stretch, we're gonna wouldn't be surprised at all if we're talking about how big this win was in terms of how the division goes. And it could potentially be the difference of the 49ers hosting a playoff game, potentially playing the Rams for a third time, just how we saw last year. All right. So that is going to do it for our breakdowns. This week. Of course, we will be back next week to talk about the NLDS, the ALDS in the MLB postseason as things as things start to heat up in the baseball world. And of course, we'll be back for NFL week five to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, everything that happened in the NFL world. So be sure to stay locked and loaded to the podcast as we try to pump out content on the weekly for y'all. But with all that being stated, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the Sports Sentiment. I am your host, your Rice, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.